It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Now, in the last episode, when I spoke to Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the common speaker, about how a virtual parliament would work, I promised that Esther Weber and I would provide a review of exactly what it was like. So what we're going to try and do is watch along with the first ever virtual Prime Minister's questions, where Sir Keir Starmer actually makes his debut as leader of the opposition. And we'll try to give you a sense of what it's like where you're watching along. So Esther, you're on the line. I am, yes. And we're going to watch PMQs together in a sort of, I think this is what all the young people are doing, isn't it? Hanging out in Zoom chats, watching Parliament live. I mean, it is actually possible that people are so bored by this thing <laughs> that they might be tuning into Parliament. So, so far, we've had the, the probably the most hotly anticipated episode of Welsh questions ever. Uh, that's just finishing up right now. Simon Hart, the Welsh Secretary, he's let the sign down, to be honest. He's, he's doing his web chat against a, a plain white wall, which is much less interesting than we might have hoped for. Yes, um... Some others, uh, Kevin Brennan, I think, managed to get a cartoon of himself in the background. <laughs> um, in retrospect, it was a bit bold, I think, to start with Wales questions, given the rural broadband situation. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit wobbly. Uh, Neil Griffiths, who's the, who's the new Shadow Welsh Secretary, appointed yeah. by Keir Starmer, bumped from uh, doing defence. She looked like she was uh, she's having a lot of building work done. It looked like uh, the room she was in hadn't been finished, so she'd propped up a sort of grey board to try and make it look less scruffy, possibly. But it's a, it's a very weird thing, because particularly because front benches, they have the advantage when they're giving a speech from the dispatch box or asking questions at the dispatch box, they can read it. Whereas if you read something when you're on a essentially a Zoom chat, it just looks looks like you're not really paying attention and you're just sort of checking on your emails on a different screen. Yeah, and I believe MPs have had some guidance about kind of what to do and what not to do. So they're not allowed to put in jazzy Zoom backgrounds of tropical islands or things like that. They still could maybe put in a bit more effort. (laughs) You do wonder if over time these things might evolve a bit and we'll have to check the uh, MPs' expense in the future to see if they've, you know, carried out interior refurbs uh, and put it on expect, you know, wallpaper for Zoom chat. You know, That would be amazing. For the first time ever, you can see what your expenses paid for yeah it'd be quite nice if they sort of gave us a tour of the whole house like when you you know when you have a chat with your your gran on on facebook or whatever and you're just like oh yeah look the garden's looking nice maybe maybe that's what um mp should start doing you know we've, we've decorated the bedroom during the lockdown <laughs> yeah i guess maybe also makes mps a bit more human when you can see kind of the wall that need to be painting 
or you know the slightly dog-eared books but in reality they'll probably all just be showing off how many books they've read you don't want to look like you're living in a in a hovel but equally <laughs> you don't want to sort of look like you know be be sitting at the other end of the table in the grand dining room where the the webcam can't quite pick you up because you're so far away and the butler comes in clattering in with uh with lunch a bit early so you want to you want to sort of balance it just yeah. right of course, slightly weirdly, in these weird times, there's actually no PM in this. Boris Johnson's still um, recuperating in at Chequers, making this a very weird debut for, for Keir Starmer. We are now going over to questions to the Prime Minister. I will be running the questions for 45 minutes. I will call the First Secretary of State to answer the engagement questions. And can I welcome to the dispatch box? Thank you so very much. Dominic Robb's up first. Asked to respond on behalf of my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, and I'm pleased to tell the House that so he. Quick uh, update on the Prime Minister's health. Good spirits. Mr. Speaker, the coronavirus. Oh, good spirits. The, the old good spirits. We've heard a lot about good spirits. Yeah, even when he was not in a good way. Yeah, he was in good. He was in good spirits one minute and then in intensive care the next. Interestingly, looking behind uh, to try and get the few MPs who've turned up to the House of Commons to space out enough. There's a sort of traffic light system. There's a there's a sort of red uh, where they normally put their prayer cards to reserve their seats. There's a tick for places you can sit and a red sign for places you can't to try and get MPs to space out. Although most of them have taken the advice of uh, Lindsay Hoyle and, and basically stayed away uh, from the Commons, um, which is good, I think. The NHS and to save lives. And yeah, with the it's, it's very encouraging early signs because I think last week there was some nervousness among MPs who maybe didn't have faith in the system or understand how it would work. But we've seen that it is a much, much emptier Commons. Can I echo the sentiments about the Prime Minister? We do wish him a speedy recovery. And it does allow me to tell the House that the Honourable Member for Rother Valley has withdrawn, so I will be calling Sir Keir Starmer and welcoming him in his first out into this dispatch box. Keir Starmer. So Keir Starmer up first. Here we go. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I thank you, the House authorities and the staff for allowing us to meet in this way today because it's I think you managed to get a louder cheer then than Jeremy Corbyn used to when the, the Commons was full. the First Secretary to the Prime Minister for a full and speedy recovery. And I'm sure I speak... What a weird beginning for him for his first PMQ. ...by coronavirus. Really strange. Condolences of the whole House to all of those that have lost everyone's saying they, they wish the Prime Minister a speedy recovery, which does sound a bit like so you so you're not here next time, Dom. Risking <laughs> to keep us safe. So we can do the real thing. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I promised that we would give constructive opposition with the courage to support the government where that's the right thing to do. And we all want and need the government to succeed in defeating... Of course, it's a big test this for Keir Starmer because the argument has been, yes, he's not Flash Harry, he's not Mr Fun in Games like Boris Johnson, but, you know, the sort of barrister in him, the sort of detailed scrutiny, this is where he should come into his own. And so it's interesting, he's kicked off with testing. But we're way behind other European countries. In a sense, he's quite well matched up with Dominic Raab in that. Sense. They have a similar 
background, a legal background, and a background in human rights. And and that was down from Monday. It, it will be a very different animal when he's up against the kind of the bluster and the rhetoric of Boris Johnson. What does the first secretary expect to happen? In the next eight days. So this is exactly what he should be doing, pointing out that on this 100,000 tests a day plan that uh, Matt Hancock has set, they're nowhere near it. Here's Dominic Raab's response. Uh, congratulate him on his success being elected leader of the Labour Party. I will certainly pass on his best wishes to the Prime Minister. I know he would want to be here in person. Oh dear, Dominic Raab's smiling. Join him in paying tribute to all of the tricky. <laughs> he rightly raises the crucial issue of testing, which is going to be an incredibly important po- uh, part of our strategy from tra- for transitioning from the current uh, social distancing measures. But I do have to just correct him. Uh, our capacity for tests is now... 40,000 per day. So I think that is an incredibly important milestone. And of course, he's right to say that in the final week, that will require a big uh, increase. But of course, with a project like this, it does require... And Dominic Raab pointing out that the the capacity for testing is now at 40,000. They've got a week left to get to 100,000. But the problem is that even though they've got the capacity of 40,000, they're not testing anything like that. You do sort of wonder, there's a a big problem with... They've even got the test now and people aren't being tested and the big problem is that when we get on to things like testing for the antibody test or carrying out vaccines it might be difficult you know the government doesn't appear capable of rolling these things out because i gave the the figure for the actual tests a day the first secretary says that there's capacity so keir starmer's now uh, corrected dominic raab's correction we fully understand what the first secretary just said because that means that the day before yesterday 40,000 tests could have been carried out. And he's focusing on the same point about uh, tests operating at about half of the possible capacity. Who are frankly desperate for tests for their residents and for themselves, desperate. They would expect every test to be used every day for those that need them. So there's clearly a problem. Why isn't the government using all the tests available Every day. Yeah. Secretary. Smart question there from Keir Starmer, basically pre- predicting what Dominic Raab was going to say and having an immediate comeback. Uh, and we're making good progress. And I, and I hope that he has conceded that point. The issue of then increasing the demand is something that we've got control over. Of course, we are uh, making sure that the eligibility is broadened. Our focus, as I, I think he would agree, should be on frontline NHS staff, broadened out to care workers and other uh, key uh, uh, key workers and then Rob seeming to suggest that part of the problem is that the tests aren't being taken up we will be able to deliver and that and we have, possibly uh, they need to expand to, uh, eligibility people putting target, themselves forward which kind of uh, suggests it's because people aren't demanding the tests which is quite difficult when Keir Starmer has just said he's been inundated by people this week demanding you know working on the front line saying they want the tests yeah Mr Speaker I do recognise how hard um, people are working to try to drive the number of tests up but there is a significant gap and there's only eight days left Mr Speaker on Monday Manjit Singh Ria an A&E consultant at the Royal Derby Hospital sadly died of coronavirus he I think was the first Sikh A&E consultant respected widely across the country and instrumental in building up Derbyshire's emergency services 
He's sadly just one of the many frontline health and social care workers to have died from coronavirus during this crisis. So can the, the First Secretary tell us how many NHS workers have now died from coronavirus and how many social care workers have now died from coronavirus. So then Keir Starmer moves on to the death of uh, Marjit Singh Rhea, an A&E consultant, and pressing the government on this big question of exactly how many members of the NHS workforce have sadly lost their lives. Tending for the most vulnerable in our society need the full support. That's why it's so important uh, that we ramp up the testing, ramp up uh, the PPE deliveries. On the latest figures, my understanding is that uh, 69 uh, people have died within the NHS of coronavirus. Uh, I don't have the precise figure for care homes. They're more difficult to establish in relation to care home workers as opposed to care home residents. But I think we can all agree in this House, every one of those is a tragedy, and that can only uh, double down our efforts to tackle this. He's moved on to doubling down efforts after <laughs> ramping up. We need to ramp them up and double them down. <laughs> I thank the First Secretary for giving us the figure in relation to NHS uh, workers, of course, a tragic case, each and every one of them. I'm disappointed we don't have a number for social care workers, and I've put the First Secretary on notice that I'll ask the same Ooh, question again. he's putting him on notice. Hopefully we can have a better answer. Starmer warning him there he's going to come back to this issue of not having proper figures for the number of those working in social care who've been affected. We've all heard countless examples of frontline workers not getting equipment they need. This is an example from a Unison care worker just last weekend, uh, and I quote, I work in a nursing home. I'm terrified. I don't know if residents have a virus. We're wearing homemade masks. This is horrible, and I'm very scared. And that word scared, I think, is one we've all heard many, many times in this last two or three weeks. A survey by the Royal College of Nursing. That's quite a powerful quote that Keir Starmer's used from a care worker there. Far more powerful, I think, than when Jeremy Corbyn tried, I've got an email from Alice here, who says, when are the bins going to be collected? Or wouldn't, dear Jeremy, aren't you dead good? Yeah, he stopped doing that after a while, didn't he? Because it... It seemed to be falling a bit of that. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, can I first say that uh, in relation to all of those frontline staff who have passed away as they battle coronavirus and, and work so hard to protect other people who are suffering, uh, our hearts go out to them. Uh, and he's absolutely right that we must do everything we can to protect them. I know we recently had a consultant who passed away at Kingston Hospital, where I've been treated, where both my boys were, uh, were, were born and delivered. Uh, how important that is. How how uh, uh, personal it is to so many of us, and we absolutely. Rob, they're talking about an NHS worker who passed away from his local hospital, and bringing maybe more of a personal note into the proceedings than we've heard from Rob so far. Not just in this deputy PM role, but really throughout his time as a minister, he's seen as a bit more. We've delivered one billion items of personal protective equipment and tens of millions have been distributed uh, via the devolved administrations. We recognise, though, that we've got to strive even harder in this uh, incredibly difficult and competitive international environment to source the equipment. That's why we brought in my noble friend, Lord Dayton, formerly Chief Executive of the London 2012 Olympics, who's been appointed to lead on our domestic efforts. Um, we 
we've delivered uh, 34 million items of PPE across 38 local resilience forums. Uh, we've established the hotlines, the Royal Mail uh, procedures, a new pilot website to make sure not only have we got the amount of PPE that we need to, but also that it can get to the most vulnerable and those on the front line who need it most. Dominic Rob, really yes. try to hammer home the point. I mean, a billion pieces of PPE is a huge number, but we do need a huge number because people working in the NHS get through them so so quickly, you know, several times a day sometimes. Um, and there's a, there's a huge number of people who need them. the challenge of getting the right equipment to the right place uh, every time. But as the First Secretary knows, there's a significant gap between promise and delivery. Uh, and over the last few days, it's emerged that British manufacturers have got in touch with many members of the opposition, probably members across the House, saying that they offered to help produce protective equipment. Is that Ian Paisley sitting, look, checking his phone while Sir Keir Starmer's talking? I think it was. <laughs> he was in the House yesterday as well, so, so the clear I'm not sure how that... Well, I think um, several MPs from uh, Northern Ireland made the trip specially so they could argue that they didn't want uh, the new virtual parliament uh, to be able to uh, pass abortion laws for Northern Ireland uh, during these um, unusual proceedings, which is good. It's good to know they've got their priority, the laser-like focus on the big issue of the day. Yeah, yeah. ...for protective equipment just as soon as possible. First Secretary. Well, I thank my honourable gentleman, although I, I don't accept his premise that we've been slow. We have been guided by the scientific advice, the chief scientific advice, the chief medical officer uh, at every step along this way. If he thinks he knows better than they do... Really interesting there. So, so Keir Starmer putting the government on notice that he's, he's willing to support their plans. He doesn't think they've been terribly well... Executed. He talks about a significant gap between promise and delivery, accuses the government of being slow. And that's the point that Dominic Raab feels he's got to push back. Essentially, I think this is going to be the defence we're going to hear again and again and again. Uh, it's not us, Gov. We were taking the advice of the scientists. Uh, and every bit yeah, he, yeah, actually, of those eight sort of challenged him a bit. They're asking if he thinks he knows better than the chief medical officer, which is probably the most kind of um, robust point we've had between the two so far. He will know from the reporting that in other countries uh, that have uh, distributed PPE without those high standards, they've been distributed with faults or flaws, they've had to be recalled, and health workers in those countries have had to go in isolation. So I appreciate that he wants to put pressure... So I think the final exchange also sort of uh, demonstrates where Keir Starmer can be particularly good. So yes, he's putting them on uh, uh, the pressure on uh, PPE and the failure to deliver the pieces that were needed, while also cautioning against going completely mad uh, and importing a load of stuff which is below the standards that people need because there have been examples around the world where people have used faulty face masks and that sort of thing and then people end up uh, being ill afterwards. So Ian Blackford dialing in from home, uh, not greeted with the usual groans that the House of Commons allows for. It's a bit difficult to see what it is he's got behind it. Oh, he's got some signed footballs. This is much more like it. Plenty there to be digging around yeah. in, in the background of Ian Blackford. Is that, a, I can't work out, is that a birthday card? And a pretty good connection coming to us loud and clear from Sky. Yeah, he's got his, he's got his uh, SMP badge on and his salt 
entire tie just to really hammer home the point. Yeah, he's also wearing his three-piece suit. Um, I really hope he's got his pyjamas on, uh, just pyjama bottoms or, you know, Bermuda shorts uh, underneath the desk. Yeah, I hope we never find out. Being left behind. To finally so Ian Blackford's using his question to uh, hammer home this idea of the cross-party call for uh, a universal basic income. It's been signed by MPs uh, from uh, across, well, across political spectrum, mostly the left. But interestingly, the Labour front bench under Keir Starmer hasn't done that uh, in a way that perhaps we probably would have seen uh, Jeremy Corbyn and uh, John McDonnell and people like that uh, sign up to it uh, previously. In relation to Scotland, uh, One of the um, striking things about Dominic Raab taking questions from people dialing in remotely is obviously instead of looking at the person, he's looking at a TV screen hovering above everyone else. Yeah, so it's about slightly a weird thing that we've all been experienced on, experiencing on Zoom calls where you're not really making contact, you don't know where you're looking and half the time you're trying to check that you're still in vision. <laughs> it also, is it actually, I might be right thinking it's actually written into the, the Commons rules, you're not supposed to look at the camera, you're definitely not supposed to gesture to the, the press gallery or the public gallery, although of course there's nobody yeah. in the public gallery right now. And in fact the, the number of report, the number of seats in the press gallery We've been limited to about a dozen, I think, so everyone can spread out uh, properly. Hence why you and I are uh, enjoying the delights of PMQs and Ian Blackford from the comfort of our of our own homes. Seasonal workers and others don't get the support they deserve. The question somehow feel even longer. <laughs> yeah, there is something. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that. Although I do think that's sometimes um, the case with all Ian Blackford questions. Uniform without. And as ever slightly with Ian Blackford's uh, questions, he asks a question. In this case, he asks a long question, which ends with, "Will you introduce a universal basic income?" Dominic Robb says no, and Ian Blackford replies, "Well, it's time has come. You must introduce a universal basic income." And Dominic Robb again replies, uh, "No." And I think we've got Peter Bone coming up next. Well, stand by your beds, everyone. Peter Bone doesn't get as much work as a Sven Gorman Eriksson lookalike as he used to. <laughs> Although we're now seeing he was possibly rather prescient in uh, his private members bill that he tried to bring forward lots of times to specify what would happen if the Prime Minister was in Mr Speaker, at this time of national emergency... Oh, yes, of course. ...many people are are being forced to use their bank overdrafts. Yeah, so disappointingly, uh, Peter Bone's using his question to ask about bank overdrafts, which is a very important issue, and yeah. not, as you were just discussing, Esther, asking a question about basically whether or not we can have a different Deputy Prime Minister, which is basically what he always used to ask in the coalition days, was asking David Cameron to confirm that were David Cameron incapacitated, Nick Clegg would not take charge of the country, uh, which all of which seems like a very long time ago. In fact, it's 10 years ago... Right now, isn't it? We're in the middle of Clegmania, and uh, the coalition was was yet to be formed. Oh, Lindsay Hall, they're cutting Peter Bone off. Yeah, things are serious when Peter Bone is actually talking about interest rates and the overdrafts, rather than his sometimes rather esoteric 
preoccupation with the workings of the House and Brexit. Maybe there's something in that. Maybe the fact that MPs are at home and thinking, how is this going to look, the camera position and the background and all of that, maybe they're also putting some thought into how this looks, the content of the question. Instead of asking a daft question which gets a laugh in front of your colleagues and a pat on the back and a bit of fun in the tea room, maybe there's a bit more thought going into the, how this is actually going to look to people watching at home. Long may it last. <laughs> and Lucy Powell, the Labour MP from Manchester Central, has got a disappointingly plain background there. Government enforced closure. Yeah, it's very plain and white there. She's talking about the loss of uh, hospitality jobs in the uh, during the lockdown, which has always been one of the hardest hit. There's been a lot of talk, with the, the devastating news, that pubs might be the last to open and possibly not until Christmas. I can't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly difficult period. We want to make sure that the country, the economy, all those small businesses, all those sectors she mentioned can bounce back. The interesting thing actually is that Dominic Raab is doing quite well in talking in sort of general terms. He's probably doing better as a result of having done the press conference questions. That he's probably across more of the detail than yeah. sort of in yeah, peacetime. That's interesting. In a way, he's had a few practice Yeah. Runs. Whereas in sort of peacetime, if you like, Boris Johnson, if he'd yeah. just been away at a summit and uh, Dominic Raab getting thrown into the, the mix as the sort of stand-in might have been a much more uh, difficult debut for him to make but yeah, and it's worth remembering that Dominic Raab's cabinet experience is pretty limited he had was it three or four months as Brexit secretary up against Keir Starmer of course and now suddenly he's you know he's supposed to be across absolutely everything on behalf of the Prime Minister yeah he really has had a kind of a sharp introduction to being at the centre of government because he, yeah, he wasn't in the cabinet for very long and was about venture until 2017, I think. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're now on to uh, Sally Ann Hart, the MP for Hastings and Rye, the Tory MP for Hastings and Rye, who who took the seat after uh, Amber Rudd stood down. Much more interesting backgrounds and beautiful. I'll be honest, but that this is about being rude about Sally Ann Hart. If somebody showed you this picture, you'd say Tory MP. It's got that's what I was going to say. She's got just the kind of floral curtains, very heavy pattern curtains, um, a sort of still life. Yes, a sort of oil painting in the background, still life. Um, sort of nice sort of muted tones I might even say Farron Ball sort of green uh, painted walls
walls in the background as well. Uh, Sally Anna Hart pressing uh, Dominic Barb on uh, tourism and uh, the importance of uh, tourism to places like Hastings and obviously terribly hit uh, by the um, lockdown and lots of people speculated that it might be the last one of the last industries to be revived. It's slightly annoying for those of us who may have a week uh, in Cornwall booked uh, for the end of August. So that we can encourage uh, people to take holidays and to revive the tourism sector uh, as we come through the crisis. We now go over to Barry Gardner. Barry Gardner. Lindsay Hoyle calls Barry Gardner. The government's scientific advisory group on emergencies recommended an urgent lockdown to save lives. This is very exciting. Barry Gardner is now up. It's difficult to tell if he is in his bedroom or if they are. I was going to say, is he, is he in a hotel room? He can't be in a hotel room, so it looks like he's in his bedroom. So I think it might be a bedroom with some pillows in the background with what I think we describe as a feature wall, a sort of maroon feature wall. Barry Gardner, of course, able to ask this question because he's no longer on the front bench after he kindly accepted the invitation from Keir Starmer to um, resign. I thought this job would take me many places, but never Barry Gardner's bedroom. <laughs> uh, Nick Fletcher there, um, a Tory MP. Um, probably the snazziest wallpaper so far. Yeah, best wallpaper game from <laughs> Nick Fletcher. Another ramp up there from Dominic Ward, ramping up the uh, the supply of PPE after bringing in Lord Dayton about three weeks after everyone else suggested bringing in someone to oversee its supply. Now, Shah, the first uh, MP choosing to ask a question from the back benches in the Commons, insisting on going will in. Will he confirm the government will meet its promise to Travelling fund all the way from be able to see whether or not this is absolutely essential travel by the quality of the question. Funding shortfalls for councils. I mean, it's an interesting point that she makes, uh, the, the need to compensate councils who, you know, are uh, being hit. There's a double whammy for councils, really. There's more costs for them looking after people in social care, but they're losing all the income from sports centres and that sort of thing being shut. It is an interesting point. Whether or not it was essential for her to travel all the way from Bradford to ask it, I think, as a, as a separate yeah, well, I, I did hear that MPs' constituencies should be considered a, a factor in in whether they make the journey. And, and Bradford would seem to be a tall order for meeting that. The so Matt Vickers, uh, a relatively new MP still, the MP for uh, Stockton South, he asked his question. He chose to uh, stay home in Stockton, which is... What is it? That's about maybe an hour and a half further north than Bradford. Um, I mean, it's quite a long way that, um, from Bradford to London. The Port Steelworks is the beating heart of the economy Labour MP. and the community in my Aberavon constituency. Appears to be doing his questions stood up. And another completely bare white... Um, who knew MPs had quite so many bare white walls? Well, he was bound to stay at home because he's already been in trouble with the police for going to say happy birthday to his dad for on company over a six-month period. Oh, that's cool. So he, t- he tweeted a picture of himself, didn't he, seeing Neil Kinnock? They it sat in the garden two metres apart and uh, he tweeted a picture of it and the police tweeted him back. Was it the South Wales police tweeted him back saying they're not sure that's a sense yeah. of travel? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm interested in the standing contribution because in the Commons people do have to stand when they speak. One thing that's really striking watching this is that MPs have clearly taken the advice that just because they're not speaking doesn't mean they're not on camera because what they are doing is when Dominic Raab is speaking the camera cuts back to them 
on their webcam just to sort of get some reaction. And obviously, it's quite important they're not slurping a cup of coffee or uh, scratching their nose or whatever it might be. Organisations have put themselves out of shape to deal with the pandemic. So another question from the Commons Chamber from James Sunderland. He's the MP for Bracknell. It's actually not a million miles away from where I am. Um, he's obviously chosen to go into the Commons Chamber. I wouldn't be at all surprised, actually, Esther, if over the next, you know, the few coming days, there's a bit of a backlash to this and that actually MPs decide that turning up in the chamber isn't strictly necessary. I was just saying I, I'd love to know more about what, how backbenchers make this decision about whether they're going to go in. It'd be interesting to see if there's a backlash against that over the next few days and actually few MPs choose to go in afterwards. So there is a slight feeling with this where uh, PMQs has now sort of drifted into what PMQs normally does and uh, Conservative MPs are asking essentially toadying questions about uh, isn't the NHS marvellous and can't we make it even more marvellous? And then on the other side, Labour MPs essentially asking the same questions as their leader have done, particularly when the leaders asked some decent questions as Keir Starmer had. Uh, and Dominic Raab giving pretty similar answers to all of them. So whether it's the hospitality industry or the tourism industry or local councils, he expresses concern for them and promises further government support as we all sort of come through this together. Oh, some traditions never die. <laughs> I mean, the main tradition is that if this was a real uh, edition of PMQs, certainly some of the press gallery would start emptying by now, where we would have a sort of huddle of journalists grilling uh, Downing Street spin doctors, although they stopped doing that, of course, um, at Christmas when... Uh, the lobby fell out with Downing Street. That all seems like a very long time ago. And you'd, you'd normally by now probably get some MPs drifting out in search of lunch. Having spoken to colleagues in Parliament, there's not a huge amount of dining options available. And we've got Sarah Davey, who's still the acting leader of the Lib Dems with their leadership contest having been postponed. And he's talking about the possibility of an inquiry into how this crisis was handled, which I think seems rather premature. I think that there are definitely lessons to be learned. And when we get through this crisis, it will import be important that we take stock and we come together. So it is interesting that when actually asked a question of a public inquiry, Dominic Raab saying he won't take he won't take Sir Ed Davey up on the kind offer of, uh, of announcing one. Actually, there's part of me that thinks, well, you know, no government ever really orders a public inquiry into its own actions. It's why it took such a long time to get one into the... Uh, um, Iraq war, uh, you know, Chilcot came many, many years later. Um, and so maybe the government doesn't want to get tied up in that. Interesting, actually, that um, Sir Ed Davey, as acting leader of the Lib Dems, has been chosen to ask a question today. They don't get a question every week at PMQs. Uh, also interesting that he didn't feel the need to travel in despite being in Surbiton, which is a sort of tube ride away into, into Westminster. Yeah, it's not the toughest question, that. Will you pay tribute to the armed forces? <laughs> Almost as hard as will you pay tribute to the NHS? A double whammy for Liz Savile Roberts because she was up at Welsh Questions earlier as well with a bumper bookcase behind her. Someone is going to have to really zoom in to try and um, work out what those tomes are. I had a momentary flashback then to when I used to occasionally cover the Welsh Assembly and have the Welsh voice track and just wondering how, how that would work. Uh, but thankfully, her question was in English. Now, there is something interesting, the point that Dominic Raab was making there about how there's been unity around the UK, that the working with the Scottish Parliament, Northern Ireland Assembly, Welsh Assembly, 
Wembley. There's been broad agreement, almost identical social distancing rules, which is it's just struck me as an interesting point when there has been all this talk about, oh, incompetent Boris Johnson, why didn't he act sooner? Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? Bring in the lockdown sooner and all of that. It's, you know, Nicola Sturgeon is uh, not a member of the Tory party, as far as I'm aware, and she's got along with it. The Labour Party that is in power in Wales, uh, likewise, there hasn't been severe criticism coming from those quarters in the way you might have expected if there was a feeling that the British plan had been the wrong one. No, I think there was some kind of chomping at the bit early on when possibly Sturgeon jumped the gun on announcing uh, also prefiguring the school closures. Um, but since then, it's been pretty consistent. So, last question. Angela Eagle. Given that the Prime Minister has... Of course, if uh, things have panned out differently, it could have been her at the dispatch box. Back in 2016, after the um, EU referendum and all those people resigned from the uh, Labour front bench, including Keir Starmer, of course, um, in protest at Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, it was Angela Eagle who went over the top first to launch a, a, a short-lived, I think we'll say, leadership campaign before Owen Smith was the one who went up against Jeremy Corbyn and lost anyway. But things could have been very different. Yeah, that really is casting the mind back (laughs) (laughs) she was giving a press conference I think when it was announced that um, Theresa May had made Boris Johnson foreign secretary which caused people a lot of surprise and hilarity (laughs) she sort of threw her hands up in the air and turned and just faced the back of the stage I think so Esther let's take a look back how, how do we assess Keir Starmer's first PMQs, uh, first of all. Well, I think he'll be pleased with that. I think it will be seen as a competent, confident performance, pressing the questions on testing capacity and the under-reporting of the problems in care homes, but also kind of hammering home this unifying theme about over-promising and under-delivering, which is something he's charged the government with. And I think, you know, something we can see from that PMQs in general is, in a way, he's getting a bit of a dry run because it's not the full cut and thrust and hullabaloo of the Commons. So he gets to put those questions in a totally different atmosphere and he can build on that as the weeks go on. And it's it's amazing, obviously. And it's you know it's a statement of the obvious, but what a massive impact uh, coronavirus has had on politics and what we want from our political leaders. And you know, go back to December after the election campaign, after the election, the general election happened, and the Labour Party was in search of a new leader to take on Boris Johnson. And Boris Johnson was this guy who who went around you know hiding in fridges and knocking down walls with diggers and you know a bit of a laugh and all that sort of thing and obviously that's really not what the country is looking for now and Boris Johnson's had to adapt and actually it could be that Keir Starmer's moment has come at precisely the right time and even in fact this first PMQs it does feel like if it had come sooner he might have felt a bit out of sorts it was a bit too early to tell it was a moment of national crisis and and any criticism might have seemed a bit premature or 
uh, in poor taste. And actually, now we are at the point where we are seeing whether or not the government's plan has worked, whether or not it's having the effect, whether or not they're delivering on their promises. And so this this feels like an almost perfect moment for someone like Sakir Starmer with that sort of forensic legal mind to sort of start picking through that and holding them to account on their promises rather than what might have been a slightly gratuitous sort of Jeremy Corbyn-esque oh you're all rubbish right from the beginning when when really that's not what people wanted yeah it all plays to his strengths definitely um, in that he is maybe perceived as a bit technical you know not the most inspiring figure and actually that's what is wanted at the moment is someone to pay attention and to be there with the detail that's the note he hit successfully today i think one of the other many reasons why it was a weird pmq was obviously Dominic Raab was filling in for Boris Johnson. And Raab is more of a direct match with Starmer, I guess. So it wasn't the dynamic you might have possibly seen Boris Johnson trying to be more Boris about the whole thing. Also, the temptation, if you're Boris Johnson, you're the Prime Minister particularly true if you've got a lot of MPs behind you, which obviously he won't have. If there is criticism, and this is definitely what they used to do in the past, if there was criticism of the government's running of the NHS, they would say, oh, we're looking Wales, the NHS there's no good, or you voted against so-and-so, or we won't take any lessons from the man who thinks we should be like Venezuela, and all that sort of stuff. That you know, that would get a great from the sort of the Tory side. A, it's going to be quite difficult to do that if you haven't got a load of MPs behind you, but also it's quite difficult to do that if Keir Starmer is being much more gentle and actually not particularly partisan or party political but just doing the job of Her Majesty's official opposition if you like and asking difficult questions and Boris Johnson without that noise and hullabaloo behind him isn't necessarily able to just bluster his way through them. You know it will be fascinating to see when he is back in action how he handles that Um, because we haven't had him in that situation for obvious reasons many times since the crisis really escalated. It remains to be seen whether he can shift gears in that way because, as I say, the well, you also have absence of MPs kind of egging you on. It means you also don't have the kind of jeering and scepticism, loud scepticism coming from the other side. So Rob was also able to defend himself in relative it's also interesting, actually, as and when Boris Johnson comes back, in a way, doing these PMQ sessions will be easier for him because it's all on one subject, the subject he is completely immersed in. And so he is having daily meetings about PPE and about testing levels and about the latest science and vaccine development. And that's what all the questions are going to be about and the economy, of course, as well. Whereas normally at PMQs, the whole point of it is it's such a random scattergun. If you've got the leader of the opposition asks you about one topic and then you've got a backbencher asking about something that's happened in their constituency, then somebody else is asking about something that's happened abroad. In fact, I remember William Hague's 
saying that one trick was to, when Tony Blair used to have two folders with a sort of A to Z of all the topics that could come up. This is how prepared he was. And a great trick for Tories, I and mean, particularly for William Hague, was to ask ask about Algeria first, because he'd have to go into one folder, then maybe ask about something that happened in Tibet in the other folder, then go maybe back to something that uh, begins with H or whatever, just to force this sort of chaos. And that's not going to happen this time. There's only one thing in Boris Johnson's folder, and it's, it's letter C and it's coronavirus. Yeah, although I feel like I should give a shout out to Luke Evans, the Tory MP for Bosworth, who managed to talk about the local zoo in relation to coronavirus. That's, that's, that's always well. That's excellent. That's a, that's a desperate attempt to get himself on the front of a local newspaper, which hopefully is still coming out, given the, the number of local papers who've, uh, who've been furloughed and so on. Just before we wind up then, Esther, we think Keir Starmer did pretty well. Dominic Raab doesn't appear to have uh, made any trouble. I think, I'm not sure we really committed anything approaching news, apart from maybe rejecting the, uh, the appeal for a public inquiry. In terms of the totally frivolous and irrelevant and trivial stuff, stuff that we'll be criticised for, but actually it's what helps us fill the days at the moment. Best wallpaper? I think that was Nick Fletcher, wasn't it? Best uh, best bookcase. There were a few bookcases that cropped up. Who do you think yeah. gets be- best bookcase? Angela Eagle had quite a, quite an impressive looking one. Yeah, it's sort of on two sides of a chimney breast. There's a special mention for Liz Savile Roberts one as well. Uh, Ruth Crab- Cadbury probably had the best uh, selection of watercolours. A special award, I think, for, for Stephen Kinnock for being the only MP to do his uh, question standing up. Yeah, I quite like that. I, mean, I thought it injected a sense of gravity to proceeding. Yeah, and it, I'd quite like to, to have then sat down at the end of his question so then we could just see the top of his head. Yeah. <laughs> like he was bobbing up and down the House of Commons chamber. <laughs> History made the first PMQs to be conducted mostly through Zoom. The first PMQs for Sir Keir Starmer as leader of the opposition. And the first PMQs where Esther and I have watched along online. Um, I've got no idea if this makes any sense or is a good idea or not. I'm sure you'll <laughs> let us know one way or the other. Email us redbox at thetimes.co.uk. Tweet us at Times Red Box. Uh, my thanks to Esther. Esther, look after yourself. I'm sure as the Queen said, I'm sure one day we will meet again. But for now, for me, Matt, surely, it's goodbye.